turns it on. You know, I slide it up or down. This kind of stuff happens, right? I got it on. Is it working? Oh, you're not connected anymore? that work? That was you? Wow, okay. Yeah, that's cool. That might be it. It happened in my last, I actually had the opportunity to speak not too long ago at a church in, or a school in Philadelphia. And no joke, I spoke two different chapels and the PowerPoint thing went out both times in the exact same spot. So it obviously wasn't the battery, it was just God going, ha, I got you. Let's have some fun. Uh, we're going to be looking at Exodus today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus. And from what I gather, your pastor and I did not talk this through. From what I gather, this is where you guys have been for a little bit. But I'm excited to walk with you through Exodus chapters 3 and 4 and get some lessons from Moses. Now before I do that, I would like to hit a little bit of background. Um, well, let's do this first. Let's have a word of prayer. We don't want to. Let's pray. Our Father God, I just thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that you've given it to us that we might know you and realize that you loved us enough to send your son to die for us, that you might have a relationship with us, not because of us, but because of who you are. And God, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you be glorified in all that's said and done. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the things we need to see, be challenged in the ways we need to be challenged. God, I pray you'd use me uh, as a vessel for you, Lord, not because there's anything valuable here, but because of you, your spirit resides in me. And I just pray that your spirit would speak clearly today, that we would learn and be encouraged in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look through uh, Exodus chapters 1 and 2, I want to give us a little bit of background uh, to what's going on. And we have a, the beginning of Exodus 1 starts off with the end of the Genesis, with the story of jo Joseph. And his people being moved to um, Egypt. And we see this, it says in verse 9 of Exodus chapter 1, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And we find this to be a bad situation for the Israelites. As a result of um, Israel moving there, as a result of, I'm, I'm sorry, but. I'm discombobulated. You're going to do it, aren't you? You know something? Let's just not do it. Let's just can it. Because I'm going to get disoriented. So we go through this, this story, and, and we, the story starts off. He's going through Joseph, and Joseph goes down there. The people forget who Joseph is, and the Pharaoh says, you know something? Israel's starting to grow. These, these Hebrews are starting to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, and we need to do something about this. So he comes up with a plan. He says, let's get rid of the babies. He talks to the midwives. He says, midwives, here's the plan. Take out the kids. When a boy is born, take him out before he's actually born. And the midwives say, no, I'm not going to do it. And so uh, the Pharaoh goes a little bit further and says, okay, let's go really crazy. When you see a Hebrew baby, just throw him in the Nile. Let's get rid of him. Right? Exodus 2 comes around. This is between Exodus 1 and Exodus 2, 
there's 400 years of time happening. Exodus 2 comes around, and Moses is born. And his mother says, no, I'm not going to, obviously, I'm going to take care of my baby. I'm going to put him in, a, in an ark. I'm going to put him in a little uh, boat. I'm going to put him in the water. Pharaoh's daughter sees him. Pharaoh's daughter pulls him out of the water and names him Moses, which means withdrawn out of the water. And we see the story of Moses beginning. As Moses grows up to 40 years old, he ends up in Pharaoh's house for 40 years. After 40 years, Exodus 2 is still happening. He, he um, sees some of his brethren out there being mistreated, and he waits until no one's looking, and he kills the Egyptian, thinking no one sees. Goes out the next day, sees two guys fighting, two Hebrew guys fighting, and he says something to them, and they say, hey, wait a second, are you going to kill us too? And all of a sudden he realizes this isn't good, and he takes a run. He takes off running. 440 years have passed, or somewhere in that process, and we get to Exodus chapter 3, and here's where I want to spend some time in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4, because I want to walk through some interesting things, some lessons that we can learn from Moses. So I would like to encourage you to read with me in Exodus chapter 3, and I'm going to walk down through this passage. Exodus 3 verse 1 says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God said to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, don't come near, take off your sandals on your, uh, off your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, for I am the God of the, your father, uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because they are taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up to a land of good and broad land, flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians have oppressed them. Come now, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all your generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel should go to the king of Egypt and say to him, 
The Lord of God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight to the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty-handed, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. Look at chapter 4. Then Moses answered, But behold, I will not, what if they will not believe me or listen to my voice? For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. And, uh, and, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail, which we know is a good idea. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, that the, Lord the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. When he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his hand. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. Or if they will not even believe these two signs to listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And here it is. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what you shall do. And he, spoke, he shall speak for you to, uh, to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take your, sta your hand and your staff and we, uh, with which you shall do these signs. What a story. What an incredible story. It all starts out with, God, uh, with Moses out there doing his regular daily routine, living his life. He's 40 years old, Acts tells us. He's 40 years old, or excuse me, he's 80 years old at this point in time. Excuse me, he's 80 years old at this point in time. He's doing his business for all intents and purposes. He's done his time. He did 40 years in, in, Israel, in Egypt. He was in Pharaoh's house. He kills the Egyptian. He runs for his life, spends 40 years out in the wilderness, 80 years old, and God appears to him. I always find it interesting. We want to do great things for God, but how many of us want to wait 80 years to do it? All right, and here it is. God says, okay, now it's time. You're, you are now, you have now been tested. You've been trained for 40 years in, in Egyptian law and all the things I have for you there. You've been trained for 40 years in how to handle the, the wilderness, and now God comes and speaks to him. And I find it interesting that God comes to him on the, in the bush. He comes in this, this fiery bush, and when God sees him, God says, hey, this, take your shoes off. Why? Because the ground you're standing on is 
holy ground. My first question and my first thought as I was thinking through this, some of the lessons that we have in this story is, why was that ground holy? Was that bush special? Was it bigger than other bushes? Was it producing more fruit than other bushes? Was it just in the right place that, in the caverns so that it just echoed well when God spoke? God doesn't say much more than it was a bush that was on fire that wasn't burning. But he said it was holy ground. And our first lesson, my first encouragement to you to know is what God calls holy is holy because God declares it to be. For no other reason than God declared that ground holy is what made it holy. You say, well, it's because God was there. Well, you know something? God's everywhere. So if that's the case, I shouldn't wear shoes anywhere, which I wouldn't mind. I kind of enjoy walking around barefoot. But God, God declares that specific ground holy. Take your shoes off because this is holy. Man, that's so cool because as we look through the rest of, the, of uh, Exodus, we find him talking about the holy place, a holy altar, holy sacrifices, holy garments, holy ointments. Holy, holy, holy. Things that God chooses are holy. And what's really interesting about this story is God calls the ground holy, but he's, what he's doing right now is he's calling to Moses and saying, you are holy. I've set you aside for a task. That's what holy means. I've set you aside for my task to be used in my way, and that's what I've got you here for. I've called you holy. Here's the interesting thing for us today, guys. If you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you've accepted his righteousness on your behalf, God has also called you holy, set aside for his task, whatever that task may be. Ephesians 2 makes it very clear. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, whatever that task is that he's laid before us. He's called you holy unto a task. So our first lesson we learn as we walk through this thing is God calls, what God calls holy, he calls holy because he wants to call it holy. He declared us righteous in Jesus Christ. Not because of me, just like the bush. Not because it was a fancy bush. Not because Moses was an amazing person. He chose Moses because he chose Moses. End of story. He chose you because he chose you. He chose me because he chose me. Not because of what we've done. Not because we earned it, not because we earned it, we worked for it, but because he chose it. Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace through God, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been justified, declared righteous in him. What God calls holy is holy because he declares it to be so. Second thing I want you to see, the second lesson I see in all this is God knows who he is. If you're taking notes, this is what I would have you write down. God knows who he is. And he has no problem reminding us who he is. And here's where that would be nice to have that little clicker to go down through. Because I want you to see, as, as he's walking through this text in uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 6, 15, 16, chapter 4, verse 5. Every time it seems most approaches him, he says, hey man, I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does he do that? Why is God telling Moses who I am? Hey, when you go tell the people, tell them, I'm the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does he do that? Because he's God of our history. He was God way back then. Abraham, 600 years before. He says in verse 8, I've come down, I've heard the cry. I've come down to deliver him. I am the deliverer. God knows who he is, has no problem telling us who he is. He says in, in verse 12 of chapter 3, verses 12 and 15 of chapter 4, I'll be with you. I'll be with your mouth. I'm, I'm with you. God is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's reminding 
Moses, look, it's not about you. It's about me. Who should I say sent me? I am that I am. He used the title only he can use for himself. He's the only one who can make that declaration. He is, always was, and always will be. He is the I am. Moses says, well, wait a second. I can't speak. God says, I'm the creator. I've created your mouth. I know who I am. God says he's a promise, key, or promise keeper. Verses 8 and verse 17 of chapter 3. He goes down and says, I'm going to take you to this land, right? I'm going to take you to this land. I promise that it's going to happen. God knows the future. We see it time and time again. As we look through the text, God tells us this is what's going to happen. Here's how it's going to happen. You're going to come back and you're going to worship on this mountain, he says to, to Moses. Hey, here's your first sign. I just want you to know when, you, when this all plays out, you're going to be right back here where it all started. You're coming right back to this very same spot. By the way, when they let you go, you guys are going to take some stuff with you. You're coming out filthy rich. God knows what's going to happen. All of God's word is not about, and I, guys, I want you to understand this, because this is important to me nowadays. So many people read God's word so that we might understand ourselves. That is not the intent of the scriptures. It is part of it, but it's not the intent. The scripture is there to tell us who God is. Moses is a great example of Jesus, right? God takes Moses and says, I need you to go into this land where my people are in slavery, and I want you to draw them out. And God says to, to Jesus, these people are in sin. You are to go as well. And God, the Bible tells us, in obedience, he submitted to the Father and went, right? Allowed us to be out of, sacrifice, out of uh, slavery to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. Why? Because of what Christ, done, what Christ did. What's really cool is the same picture applies for us as well. We have the same privilege of being Christ to the people around us and communicating the gospel to them. But they no longer have to walk in slavery. But all of God's word is pointing us to who he is, what he has done, and out of who he is, we can live. Because that's the third point. That's the third point. Why is it important for me to know who God is? Because God is always watching and God has a plan. We see it numerous times in this text. God tells us, I want you to see this. I see what's happening. I know what's going on with my people. And he says, I've come down to deliver them. Right? But can I encourage you to look at Genesis chapter 15? And I assume your senior pastor did this, but we're gonna, I want to look at it again. Genesis chapter 15 says this, because this, this text seems odd. Genesis 15 verses 1 says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Abram. Before Abraham is even Abraham, he's still Abram. Genesis 15. He says, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. We already had the promise earlier in Genesis that God was going to make a great people out of Abram. Already had the promise. And here we are in chapter 15, and Abram still doesn't have a person. So Abraham comes up to his plan and says, hey, how about, how about if my, one of my people that lives in my house? Abraham says, behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And God responds to him and says, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars. And if you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord. 
and he counted it to him for righteousness. Man, that's the part of the text. That's the part of this, these verses we hang on to. God told Abram way, way back, 600 years before the, the Exodus scenario, you're going to have a group of people. You're going to have a, and, and Abram says, I don't even have a kid. I don't even have a child. How in the world am I going to have any offspring? And God says, you're going to have, as the stars are in the sky, there's going to be a bunch, you're going to have that many offspring. And Abraham looks and believes it, and God accounts it to him for righteousness. But look down in verse 12. Same text, Genesis 15, verse 12 says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. They will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on them on Brunson, on the nation that they serve, and afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. What an incredible story. 600 years before Moses. Now, here's the, here's the funny thing for me, guys, as I thought through this. Um, you do realize Moses recorded Genesis. Moses recorded Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And can you just imagine, as God's dictating to Moses what's happening and they're walking through this stuff and he's writing down this story of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and all of a sudden he gets to the story of this Abram guy and I just in my own in my own head kind of a vision Moses is writing this stuff and all of a sudden it gets to this one and God goes hey in 600 years in 600 years here's what's going to happen and Moses is like that just happened that's unbelievable I mean, I was, I'm this guy that you told Abraham about 600 years ago. That's unbelievable. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that doesn't look at, the, at history. I mean, I think about 600 years ago. You realize 600 years ago, we're still 70 years from, from uh, Columbus sailing the ocean blue, because according to the song, it was 1492. That's the only, time, the only reason I remember it. I don't know about you guys, I'm not great with history, but in 1492, apparently Columbus sailed the ocean blue, which is about 600 years ago, and, and 70 years ago. That long ago, right, God dictates and says, here's what's going to happen. And it plays out exactly like he says. Folks, what kind of confidence does that give us as we think about the God, the Bible, he talks about who he is, and then he says to me, not only am I that guy, I'm a God with a plan, and I've got a plan for everything everything your life isn't happening by accident isn't part of one of those things that god just missed it's a misnomer you know god talks about the highlights of the big stuff he doesn't really hit the rest of it but here's the deal god has a plan his plan plays out but god's plan always involves his people and that's my last point or my second to last point god's plan involves his people See, God sees what's going on in Egypt. God sees, and he says, I've come down to deliver them. In verse 8 and verse 10, he says, come, I send you. I see what's going on, and I send you. Folks, the world around us today, I don't know if you pay attention, but it's not doing well. And I'm going to tell you, that God has sent you to be that light into the world, just like he did his disciples many, many years ago, Christ did. 
and he sends you today to be the light in the world around him. And here's what happens, and you guys have gone through it before. I'm going to walk through it real quickly again because I want you to see what happens. God says, Moses, I send you. And Moses comes up with the first question. Who, are, who am I? Who am I to be your spokesman? You see about how God responds to that? What difference does it make who you are? Who am I? Right? Get your focus off you, Moses. Look at who I am. That's all. He says, well, wait a second, then. Who are you? Who are you? And Moses tell, and God tells him who he is. I am the I am. I am the I am. So then, of course, Moses does what many of us do. If you are God, you are the I am, what if I go and I talk to them and they won't listen? What if I go and talk to them and they won't listen? And interestingly, with this one, God gives Moses three signs. The first sign he gives him, throw the, sta the staff down. The staff turns into a snake. Moses goes running. God's like, whoa, 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 get back. Get back here. Moses comes back. He says, now pick up the thing by the tail, which we, of course, know is not a good idea. He does. He grabs it by the tail. Sure enough, it becomes a staff again. Hey, take your hand, put it inside your coat, pull it back out. Leprous, put it back in again. It's all put out clean. Interesting enough, both of those things happened right there in front of God. Moses did both of those. God gave him a third sign. Realized Moses took a third sign on faith. God said, when you get there, if they're not listening, go out and grab a cup of water from the Nile. Nowhere near where Moses is. He's in Midian. We're talking a long way away, right? So he says, when you get there, grab a cup of water, grab some water out of the Nile, throw it on the ground, it'll become blood. Moses, by then, has now taken for granted. God probably knows what he's talking about, right? So he embraced that one. What if they don't listen? Here's three signs to show you how great you are, Moses, and how tricky you are, and how much of a craftsman you are. No. What if they don't listen? Here's some things I want you to show you to show them, because I want them to see my power, who I am. Man, God's about himself. And he needs to be, because he's God. And so he says, what about, why, what about me? I, I, I can't speak. I'm not a good speaker. And God says, well, I don't care, because guess who made your mouth? Me. I'm the creator. I made your mouth. So if I made your mouth and I tell you guys I can use it, then we can use it. Whether you think you can or not, it's irrelevant. So uh, Moses goes to his last one. And, of course, we do the same thing. I'm not quipped. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to do that. I know there's somebody at work I'm supposed to talk to. I know I'm supposed to chat with some, somebody at the store. I know you're, you're pressing on my heart to say something, but I, why, who, why, why me? And God says, because I created you, and I put you in this place, and I called you holy. Go do it. So we say, as Moses did in this last one, send somebody else. And I find it interesting that God actually references that he got angry. Moses wrote it down. Again, God got angry with me. God got upset with him. Why? Because it's so obvious. Look at who I am. Look at who I am. Look at what I can do. Look, man, I even made you. Just do it. So God says, okay, you, you want to go that route? Aaron's already on his way. I've already got Aaron coming, and if you want to share the glory, you want to share that, that work with Aaron, that's fine. I'll allow that to happen. But no, you missed out on that pleasure of being able to be that guy who obeyed unconditionally. I did find it interesting that God's plan involves God's people, but God gives evidence of his power 
for our benefit, right? For Moses to actually see the snake, for Moses to actually see the leprous, the leper hand, that was really for Moses. God didn't have to do that. God did it for Moses' sake. Ultimately, the Nile and the blood, he did that for Moses' sake. Here's the cool thing, guys. There's times that we look and we say, God's called me to do something, and I'm not sure I have the power to do this. And Ephesians chapter 1 reminds us, as Paul prays for these, the Ephesians, that we might know the power of the resurrection because that's the power that lives in us. I had a guy, I was on a plane uh, flying uh, to Philly, and a guy I was in the plane with said to me, he says, man, if I could just prove the resurrection, I could believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm like, holy cow. I mean, if there's not tons of evidence that the resurrection happened. But let me just tell you something. That's the power that we have. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And here it goes even further. Not only is that that, that power that raised him from the dead lives in us, it's actually the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Acts chapter 1 tells us we'll be witnesses because we're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit inside us. Why did God give us that power? For our benefit? Yeah, man, to help us understand who he is. That we might be able to do what he's asked us to do. Moses, from this story we see, Moses comes up with all his excuses. And God shoots each and every one of them down. Not with what Moses can do and how great Moses is and how he builds up Moses' self-esteem to make Moses feel better. And man, let me just tell you, you're going to do this. No, that isn't it at all. God says, you don't think you are important enough to do it? That's okay, I am. You don't, you don't know who I am? Let me introduce you to myself. Here's who I am. You don't think that they're going to listen? That's okay. I'll take care of that too. You don't think you can speak? You don't think you can do it alone? That's okay. I'll answer all of that. And God wants to do the same thing in and through each one of us as we walk through these things. And we have a choice, guys. Here's what it all boils down to. My last point, obedience is the proper response. We find at the very end of the text, Moses picks up his staff and off he goes. Heads down to Egypt. And as you follow the story, it's a super cool story. Sure enough, exactly what God says happens, happens. I love the fact that God tells, and I, I, I've kind of missed this one, but I want to throw this out there. I love the fact that God tells Moses, you're going to go down there, and guess what? Pharaoh's not going to respond. I mean, you figure it'd be kind of cool if God said, hey, you're going to go down there, and Pharaoh's just going to go, hey, man, whatever you say, go ahead and do it. And God said, no, 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 that's not what's going to happen. He's not even going to listen to you, but go do it anyway. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to put all kinds of hurt on him and the people of Egypt, and they're going to give you so much stuff just to get out of here, right? They're going to give you all their stuff just to get you gone. He told them that ahead of time. And here's my challenge for you guys today. If God has declared you holy, if God has declared you holy, be holy as he is holy. If he's declared you righteous, live Worthy of the declaration he has made. Paul says it time and time again. Live worthy of the calling with which he's called you. Walk in holiness. But here's the deal. When you realize you're not holy, when you realize you don't do it perfectly, remember, he is and he has. He is holy, he is perfect, and he's done it on your behalf already. So he declared you holy. He's given you a task to do. When you realize you're not good enough, you don't deserve the position that he's got, remember who he is. 
Go back to his word and study who he is. Don't try to find yourself in how great you are in his word. Find out how great he is in his word. And when life seems out of control, as you're saying, I want to follow in obedience, but God, life just looks chaotic. I mean, I'm, I look, at each, look at Moses. He goes down there, he starts talking, and things get, go from bad to worse for the people. They didn't get better. They got worse. And he sticks with it when life seems out of control. Remember, God had a plan. God told him 600 years earlier this is going to happen. That same God is involved in your life today. When life seems out of control, remember, he's got a plan, and he's going to play it through. And then walk in confidence. Walk in confidence know that he knows what he is doing. God knows what he is doing. And this is my last point because this is one that applies to me, even when it comes to using me to do his will. Even when it comes to using you to do his will. Guys, there's a time that you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to go, God, I don't deserve to do what you're asking me to do today. I, I, I don't, I've, I've messed up. I've failed. I've blown it. I'm not as good as so-and-so. I'll tell you a quick one. This is so funny to me. God does funny stuff every now and again. I had the opportunity to go to a, uh, to a um, church in New Jersey. And uh, I, I don't, I don't fancy myself as a great speaker, um, but I had the opportunity to present AMG at this church. And so um, I got up to present, and they gave me 10 minutes to, be, to do talk about AMG, and I could spend hours talking about AMG because I've been doing it for a little while. Um, so they gave me 10 minutes, and I didn't really feel like I did a very good job. And I sat down, and I thought, man, there's other guys that I work with that are much better uh, and could have done a better job than I did. And uh, after the service, one of the guys goes running up to the pastor, and he gets face-to-face with the pastor and uh, tells the pastor, who are these AMG people? We don't even know who these people are. What are they doing here? And, and um, the pastor uh, handled it pretty well. But the first person that came up to me happened to be the head of the missions department of their missions committee, right? You know what's really bizarre? When I was four years old, five years old, I used to go to a little church in Jersey, and this kid was in the preschool with me. And he remembered me. Right? I'm like, that's bizarre. Like, this dude came up and he's like, are you Ken Ivins? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, did you used to go to, I'm like, yes. He's like, we used to be in preschool together. He was the head of the missions department. I'm going, well, that's so bizarre. Because let me just tell you something. Anybody else from AMG goes to that church and visits and shares the same stuff, even if they did it more eloquently, that first conversation would have happened to the senior pastor and their interaction with AMG, and, and actually they end up going on a trip with us, would have probably never happened. But God said, no, I want you to go to this church. And, and 50 years ago, put me and this guy together in the same room. Bizarre, right? Here's the deal, guys. When it comes to obedience, if God's design declared something holy, it's holy. When you realize you're not good enough, that's okay. God is. When life seems out of control, that's okay because God's got control of it. And then walk in confidence knowing that even if it doesn't make sense to you, even if you feel like you're not the right person for the job, do what God's called you to do and, let, and just be amazed at what he does because that's what he'll do for you. Moses did it. I want to challenge you to do that as well. Can I pray with you? Let's do it. Father God, I just thank you so much for your love for us. God, I thank you for the example that Moses was. Lord, as he 
blundered through this whole interaction with you as he's talking to you in a burning bush. God, yet he still responds ultimately in obedience. And God, what an amazing testimony he has as he walks through life, as he records so much of your word for our behalf. God, we want to do great things for you, and we realize it comes just by listening to who you are, knowing who you are, and then walking in obedience. God, help us to do that today. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death on Calvary. Thank you for his burial and his resurrection as evidence is that he was who he said he was. Thank you for the confidence we can walk after you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.